allegations of excessive force. What really happened outside the Vancouver jail in full view of security cameras? A warning to younger COVID patients. When the waves come, they hit just as hard. The symptoms she's still suffering four months after quarantine. And flushing public money down the toilet. The sticker price for the toilet is high. Vancouver's plan to build a public restroom that costs as much as a condo. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Two Vancouver police officers are being investigated for their actions during an incident last weekend on the downtown east side. The officers were involved in some kind of altercation with a man outside the jail. Our Ramina Dea joins us live with more on this developing story. Uh, Ramina, this happened before the man had been in custody. Yeah, he was in custody. At this point, we're not sure what landed him there or when exactly he was released. We're hearing that he's apparently an Indigenous man, but the Independent Investigations Office, the IIO, the police watchdog, is telling us that that has not been confirmed. It is something they're looking into. Now, as far as what sparked this altercation, we don't know that tonight. We know that this happened on March 20th. Saturday night around 8.40 p.m. outside the VPD jail on Cordova Street. Now, we don't know if there were any weapons involved. We don't know the extent of the man's injuries. He was taken to hospital, and apparently he was released the same night. Now, the police watchdog, the IIO, is the lead on this investigation. Now, we do understand that the man had previously been in custody um, and had been released um, but as to exactly what happened uh, outside of the cell area, um, we're not sure. Uh, we're looking into that at, at right now. Um, we're gathering all the evidence we can, which will include witness evidence, video evidence, et cetera, to determine what occurred here. Now, the OPCC, the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner, another agency in this case, has confirmed to Global News that after it received a request from the VPD, the OPCC will now launch an investigation under the Police Act into the conduct of the two Vancouver police officers in relation to this use of force incident. Now, the VPD not only reported to the OPCC, but also to the police watchdog, the IIO, once they learned of the incident. The department telling us tonight that the work status of the two officers has not been determined yet, so it's unknown if they're still on active duty. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Ramina Dea reporting for us tonight. Vancouver police want you to be on the lookout for a violent offender who is in breach of his court-ordered curfew. 54-year-old Kenneth Nolan Curtin is now the subject of a Canada-wide warrant after failing to return to his Vancouver halfway house last night. Police say Curtin has a long and violent criminal history, which includes attempted murder charges and convictions for aggravated assault and theft along with numerous breaches of his parole conditions. If you see Kenneth Curtin, call 911 immediately. Well, while the province's ongoing vaccination efforts seem to be having success in cutting the number of cases in care facilities and among BC seniors, the province's top doctor is now warning a different demographic. They are at the center of the province's pandemic. As Aaron MacArthur reports, COVID-19 variant cases are now most quickly on the rise in people aged 20 to 59. 
Biggest one I'd say is the fatigue and fogginess. So it comes two to three times a week and when it hits me, it just rocks me. Four months later, Haley Callison is still feeling the effects of COVID-19. But her health isn't her biggest worry. It scares me to think that if my parents get this, I don't, if they got it the way that I did, it, they, I don't know that they'd make it and that's really, really scary. Despite COVID taking a heavy toll on seniors, it's actually her age group that has seen the most number of cases during the pandemic. From December of last year until March, more than 16,000 cases have been recorded between the ages of 20 and 40. More than 300 hospitalizations, 51 serious enough to need intensive care and 10 people between the ages of 30 and 39 have died. As we are protecting more and more older people, we're also seeing uh, risk in younger people. Psychologists say the vast majority of people, no matter their age, have been conscientious. But the younger the population, the more willing they are to take risks. People are taking on, through their own critical thinking skills, what they think, oh, well, if I just do this, it's not going to have that big of an effect. Uh, and usually they're probably right. The problem is, is that we have no way of, we have no way intuitively to really get a good idea of when you're going to be wrong. In BC, the group driving the caseloads is also the group that will be among the last to be vaccinated, resulting quite likely in a long, drawn-out endgame that will see more younger people facing serious health challenges. Everyone's sick of this. Nobody likes talking about it. Nobody likes living it. Um, but we're so close. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. They are in the eye of the COVID storm in the Fraser Health region, and now we know Surrey teachers and school staff are getting priority to get their vaccine shots. One week after Dr. Bonnie Henry announced teachers would be among, among the first responders getting vaccine priority, today it was revealed all Surrey teachers and in-school staff will be going to the front of the line. The school board is now working together with Fraser Health on a schedule, and those details are expected to be rolled out in the coming days. We are, you know, obviously very gratified and relieved that Surrey teachers will be and school staffs uh, will be getting their vaccination. Um, this is uh, welcome news, obviously. Uh, it's unfortunate that it has taken so long, especially with the variant being uh, so prevalent right now. That vaccination effort will include the more than 5,800 teachers working in Surrey's public schools, as well as several hundred clerical and support staff. Now, those in the taxi industry are among the many sectors feeling left out of the province's vaccine rollout. Frontline priority workers will be eligible for vaccines starting in April, but cab drivers are not among the 300,000 B.C. residents on that list. The owner of EcoTaxi in the Okanagan says cab drivers offer essential trips. Many customers are people who need to go to a COVID-19 testing appointment, and drivers are putting themselves at risk. Many times we uh, taking customers to assessment centers too, and uh, we have many calls from hospital taking home, from hospital and taking to hospital. That's all uh, we concern about it are my employees. The Provincial Health Services Authority says they examine the exposure cases in each sector 
before deciding which should be prioritized. All right, now let's take a look at today's numbers. We have 682 new cases. That brings BC's total to more than 93,000, with more than 5,400 of those cases currently active. 314 people are in hospital, 83 of them in the ICU, and we have lost one more life in BC due to COVID-19. Yesterday, 18,100 doses of vaccine were administered. And Keith Baldry joins us now to drill a little deeper into today's numbers. Uh, they're still high up there, Keith. What are the role, what's the role the variants are playing in those numbers? Yeah, the variants of concern are playing an increasingly large role on the daily case numbers. have been about 10 to 12 percent of all the numbers every day, but that number continues to climb. Here's the latest update of uh, the three variants that are at loose uh, in B.C. Uh, again, first of all, we've got 144 new cases. That's the column on the left. 1,510 cases overall. On the right is how the variants themselves break down. 1,357 is the B117 uh, variant, the U.K. one commonly known, the South Africa, the Brazilian one has now moved into second place. That's the P1 uh, variant. And the South African one really hasn't changed in numbers for quite some time. They're up two to 43. The one to be a little nervous about is the Brazilian one and the UK one. The UK variant now is the dominant virus in Ontario, uh, the UK, of course, and much of Europe. And it could very well start to be the dominant virus here. So keep an eye on that in the days ahead. Uh, some good news, though, on the vaccination front, about 150,000 people who have certain underlying health conditions are going to be being informed by letter that they can get an early vaccination starting in April. Uh, so look for those to arrive in your mails. But as I say, about 150,000 with people who have cancer, uh, severe respiratory illnesses, organ transplant patients and such. The list is a long one. It's on the BC Centre for Disease Control website. Check it out if you think you qualify. If you don't get a letter and you think you do qualify by April 15th, you're going to be asked to contact the health authority. So some good news there for people who are in a health condition where the worst outcome of the virus mm -hmm. uh, could be theirs. I'm sure they'll be relieved to get that vaccine. All right, thanks, Keith. Yeah. BC's public health order restricting religious gatherings has now been amended to allow for outdoor worship services. Under the new rules, organizers of outdoor religious get-togethers still need to have a COVID-19 safety plan in place and ensure that everyone who attends follows those plans. Dr. Bonnie Henry had promised a slight relaxation of the previous rules in time for Passover and Easter. The provincial health order restricting in-person, indoor religious services had been the subject of a court challenge launched by a number of Fraser Valley churches. Just last week, a B.C. Supreme Court judge dismissed that challenge, saying the infringement of charter rights is justified. Well, for months now, local youth sports have been dramatically changed due to provincial health orders. No spectators, no games, no travel. BC's top doctor doubled down on that order this week, saying those rules are in place for a reason. But as Global Zamadagahi reports, there are some who are calling this offside. Colin Sarisic is getting some extra work in playing goalkeeper against his dad because this season most of his games were cancelled. It hasn't been as fun. Some people on my team don't really take it as seriously because we're not playing games, so it's like, what's really the point? For months now, kids have been practicing with their teams, but not allowed to play games against each other or clubs from other areas. Why can we practice for this long, but we cannot play games? And is there data to show that games transmit COVID more than practices? With baseball season now in jeopardy of even starting at all, according to this Langley parent, it was time to rally frustrations. 
starting a petition with hundreds of signatures that also calls on the province to let parents watch their children play from the sidelines instead of the current rules that keep parents in the parking lot. The parent can go to Costco, shopping, go to Ikea after to buy some furniture, take the family out for dinner, and then drive their child to soccer or baseball, and they can't walk their kid on the field. It just, it doesn't make sense. During spring break soccer in Coquitlam, the drop-off and pick-up is something this parent doesn't really mind. Not a, much of a helicopter parent, so yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with it, and I know they're in good hands here. And also a rule Dr. Henry isn't willing to reconsider. We've seen uh, clusters related to um, some uh, of the youth sports settings. Again, not the kids so much, but in the, fa the adults and the parents who are around those settings. The provincial health officer is hinting, though, that games for youth could return in a matter of weeks, not months. If things go well, I'm hoping we will get back to that uh, uh, sometime in near the end of April, hopefully. Which seems soon to most, but for the parents and volunteers planning the upcoming spring seasons, it leaves room for uncertainty. We just want our kids to enjoy their spring and their summer. We want, th we want, them, we want them to play ball. Emad Agahi, Global News. The plan for a new public restroom that some say really stinks. Vancouver wants to install a Portland loo just like this one in a downtown park. But the price tag has some people holding their noses. That's next on the News Hour. It's about as close as you'll ever get to Middle Earth, and it's right in our own backyard, where you can experience the Hobbit lifestyle later. And coming up in sports, the slap shot that took out the Canucks captain, and an update on Bo Horvat's injury. Right now, though, the Vancouver Park Board is at the center of a controversy again, this time over the proposed cost of a public washroom. The board has budgeted well over a half million dollars for a facility that other B.C. cities have installed for a fraction of the cost. Grace Key reports. It's made of heavy gauge stainless steel with an open top and bottom to help reduce criminal activity. It has an anti-graffiti coating and hand washing unit outside. The Portland Loo will be popping up in Vancouver's Cooper's Park. The total price tag, $645,000. No, no, definitely no, it's too much. That's a drop in the bucket for the budget in Vancouver. Yeah, that seems very pricey, <laughs> um, yeah. The sticker price for the toilet is high. But as I mentioned earlier, it's it's like the tank of toilets. It's it's virtually indestructible, right? And and unfortunately, we spend a lot of money uh, in our toilets, uh, in the toilet system, uh, just repairing. Uh, Damage. The structure costs up to $185,000. Other fees include consultation, soil assessment, sewer, water, and electrical connections, site preparation, and installation. The $645,000 is a cost estimate. The actual amount will depend on design and implementation. There's likely uh, sewer uh, systems that have to be put in place because it's an unserviced part of the city, right? So, so we got to get all those services, power, water, uh, likely a sewer connection over to that, uh, to that toilet. Esquamalt installed a Portland Loo in Memorial Park for the structure, new concrete, plumbing, electrical outlets, and installation. Its total price tag in 2019 $237,000. Esquamalt residents a little surprised at the price difference. Well, the cushioning must be really good, <laughs> frankly. Uh, I, I just don't understand, you know, the cost. Well, why would it be like uh, 
have gold in it or something. A grant from the province's Community Economic Recovery Infrastructure Program is funding the project. It's likely to be installed by the fall and it's part of a pilot project with Lou's planned for Crab and Columbia Parks. Grace Key, Global News. BC Ferries has revealed the name of its newest vessel. The new Salish Heron will sail in the southern Gulf Islands next year and will feature artwork from a BC Coast Salish artist. The Heron will be the fourth vessel to join the Salish class fleet. The Salish Orca, Eagle and Raven entered service in 2017, all three featuring original Salish artwork. BC Ferries held a contest to name the Salish class ferries in 2015. Heron was selected because it reflects both the West Coast travel experience and the culture of BC. Coast Salish artists are now encouraged to submit their work for consideration to be featured on the newest ferry. Up ahead, dirty deeds in the fishing industry. It's d- disturbing, disgusting and really, really disappointing. How thousands of herring ended up wasted at the bottom of the bay. And on a lonely highway, a disturbing case of someone pretending to be a cop. High above a police incident in Surrey that has 144th Street completely shut down to traffic in both directions between 60th and 61A Avenue. It's been like this all day. It's pretty residential, though. An alternate route would be 152nd Street instead. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC mortgage advisor will show you how to make your ambition real. Plus, get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. High above a police incident in Surrey. questions that need to be answered here. This was a high risk, high reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. How do you grow as a human being if you're not going to open your ears and listen? RCMP and the Okanagan are urging people to be vigilant after a troubling incident near Kelowna. A driver says he was pulled over by someone impersonating a police officer. Global's Jules Knox has the details and some advice from police on protecting yourself in a similar situation. Investigators say that a motorist was traveling along Highway 33 when a white pickup truck pulled out behind him, followed for a short distance, and then activated red and blue flashing lights that were installed in the front grille. Police say the victim pulled over to the side of the road and the suspect driver approached his vehicle carrying a flashlight. The victim was instructed to get out of his vehicle, according to RCMP, but trusted his instincts and distracted the other man and then fled. He was followed for a short distance after by this vehicle um, before it eventually stopped or turned off. And and that's when our motorist entered into cell reception and was able to pick up the phone and call for help. The incident allegedly happened on Sunday around 8.30 p.m. in the Westbridge area near Midway. The Midway mayor says it's a remote road with little cell service and local leaders have been encouraging companies to install cell towers there for some time. We were told that it's expensive, electrical power is needed, and that it is a challenge. But it's certainly something that uh, upper levels of government, like the provincial and federal, should be working on. While RCMP say police impersonators are usually quite rare, a man was just arrested in Prince George on Friday for having blue and red flashing lights on his vehicle and pretending to be a police officer. At a preliminary look, it doesn't appear that it's related to that Prince George incident. The vehicles are very much different, but we're not uh, ruling that possibility out just yet. As for the suspect, he's described as an older man with blonde hair, approximately six feet tall and clean shaven. We would suggest that you pull over, um, use your cell phone, call 911, 
and uh, just put your window down a little bit with your vehicle running and uh, engage with that individual through a conversation and let them know that you're just working to ensure that you're safe by confirming who they are. The battle over BC's herring fishery has been reignited by a disturbing incident off Vancouver Island. Conservationists say a fishing boat dumped thousands of dead herring into the water. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they say that will have a serious impact on the already depleted resource. March is a remarkable time of year off the shores of Hornby and Demon Islands, as millions of Pacific herring gather, turning the waters white with spawn. We see them um, in the shallow waters spawning, coming through. They're feeding thousands or hundreds of sea lions, thousands of birds. You couldn't walk outside without seeing orca in the water. The Salish Sea depends on herring, whose unenviable role is to nourish just about every form of life that lives within it. But there's a problem. This is the last viable herring spawn on the coast. There used to be five and we're down to just this one. Which is why, for the last five years, Conservancy Hornby Island has been trying to convince the federal government to stop the annual herring fishery. They say it puts too much pressure on this last remaining population. This is our last chance to protect them. If these stocks get wiped out, then it's kind of game over. The fishery went ahead anyway this year. And soon after, Rebecca got an anonymous message. It reads, if you haven't already been informed, a commercial boat dumped its load of herring in Deep Bay after the packer refused to accept it. On arrival at Deep Bay Harbour, she could see from the surface that the tip was for real. And on closer inspection under the water... It's quite eerie. You could just see a huge mass of, of herring. It was like a 30 by 30 foot area. Um, thousands of herring were just sitting at the bottom. The loss, more than monetary, because the females didn't have a chance to spawn. That's 20,000 eggs per fish gone to waste. We couldn't really believe that they had just dumped them, um, that these fish didn't go anywhere. And really, there was just absolutely 02 catching them. It's yet another black mark on an already controversial fishery. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans response. The DFO has seen the video that we put out and they're investigating. So we should have answers soon as to what happened and what kind of actions will be taken. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Coming up, what could be the future of urban transportation? For anything that's in the shorter distance where you don't really need to drive, it's perfect for that type of commute. A new pilot project to figure out just where e-scooters and other e-mobility items fit on our roads. And a surprising finding about new moms and OCD. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. Traffic is in great shape in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel tonight. Keep in mind, though, that overnight road work causes delays further south on the 99 through Delta near Ladner Trunk with lane closures and delays from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Get 0% financing for up to 84 months in the all-electric 2020 Bolt DLT plus eligible Costco members. Receive Costco member pricing and more. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. For the second time in only 10 days, flags across the United States are at half-staff to honor victims of a mass shooting. On Monday, a gunman opened fire at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, killing 10 people. As Global's Reggie Cicchini reports, investigators are still working to determine a motive. A senseless act of violence, 
I can't believe it's happening in Boulder, honestly. Has left a community in mourning and in shock. Our hearts ache for those who lost their lives. This is real horror and terror for all of us. Late Monday afternoon, gunfire erupted outside of and then inside a grocery store. Ten lives lost in a flash. The victims, ranging from 20 to 65 years old. The man who gunned them down will be held fully responsible. Why did this happen? We don't have the answer to that yet. The 21-year-old suspect was on the FBI's radar, but not local police. Reports suggest he allegedly bought a rifle last week and now faces 10 counts of first-degree murder. They had family and friends, loves and passions and dreams of tomorrows that will no longer come for them. Among the victims, a first responder, Officer Eric Talley, a father of seven and the first to arrive on scene. He was willing to die to protect others. And that gets lost in translation. That's a definition of an American hero. For the second time in a week, the president ordered flags to have staff to honor victims of a mass shooting. Thoughts and prayers alone are not enough. As gun control, including assault weapon bans, were debated on Capitol Hill, an often futile effort. This is not, it should not be a partisan issue. Public health officials have long called gun violence in America an epidemic one that kills 38,000 Americans yearly, including eight in Atlanta just last week. Grief, now an unwanted connection between far too many. I wish I could stand here and promise that the pain will heal quickly. It won't. While the investigation could take months, the healing for these 10 families will last a lifetime. Reggie Chikini, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a new UBC study shows obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, is much more common among new mothers than previously thought. The study estimates 8% of postpartum women had symptoms that meet criteria for a diagnosis of OCD at some point during pregnancy, and then 17% do so in the 38 weeks after delivery as well. Earlier research put it at only about 2%. The researchers say much of it can be attributed to new moms having unwanted thoughts of harm related to their babies. If you're a new mom and you have some unwanted intrusive thoughts related to your infant, because your infant is so precious to you, because you're responsible, because they're vulnerable, we're very likely to notice those kinds of thoughts. And if we have a really strong reaction to those thoughts, we may in fact go on to develop OCD. The researchers say their study shows it's important for new moms to be assessed for OCD because if it's left untreated, it can interfere with parenting, relationships and daily living. Coming up, a local whiskey maker sued over his love of Scotland. We built this brand through blood, sweat and tears. Why New Caledonia and its owner are the subject of a lawsuit. And how would you like a Hobbit holiday? The Okanagan property pulled right off the pages of Tolkien's books. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. You've probably seen someone zipping along the street or sidewalk on an e-scooter. They're becoming a popular alternative to public transportation. 
Many European cities already have rules and regulations in place to add e-mobility to the transportation network. And as Ted Trinecki reports, a new pilot project could do the same for B.C. All right, guys, we're going to head to the left. The pandemic has been great news for anything mobile and electric. Bicycles, e-bikes and e-scooters are all selling like never before. Retailers have been lobbying for this for years. So how good is today's news? On a scale of 1 to 10, like 15. (laughs) The one knock against buying one of these is that you couldn't go anywhere on them, legally. Currently, they can only be used on private property, not on public roads, nor sidewalks, nor bike lanes. The e-kick scooter isn't technically legally operate or legal to be operated here in British Columbia on public roads. So the changes we've made to the Motor Vehicle Act and what we're doing today is announcing that we are making them legal through this limited pilot project. Now, Vancouver, all three cities on the hilly north shore, Kelowna and Vernon, have the authority to pass new bylaws, allowing e-scooters on designated public routes. Riders must be 16 or older and wear helmets. First-time riders are capped at 20 kilometres an hour. Kelowna has been leading the way, allowing e-scooter rental companies to use a very limited waterfront walkway and rail trail. The city stitched together a route that avoided any public streets, but now, possibly as early as next month, e-scooters could be legal on certain public roads in Kelowna and elsewhere. I think I would like to see a more concrete set of uh, regulations spelled out for the riders, um, because right now a lot of things are, I think this, I believe this, but nothing is really set in stone. Now, each of the six cities get to set its own rules, and rider behavior will probably go a long way in determining how mainstream this mode of transport becomes. Should these e-kick scooters uh, be used out on the streets with cars? Should they be limited to bike lanes, or should they be allowed to mix with pedestrians out on sidewalks? Are we creating hazards for other sidewalk users? Riding an e-scooter on the seawall, for example, like this image posted by Canucks superstar Elias Pettersson, is still illegal and worthy of at least a misconduct penalty. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, we'll, the, we'll ask Squire about that. <laughs> yeah, we will. They are so fun, though. But yeah, there needs to be some kind of framework for rules right. because we know how people are. So they're not littered around everywhere. Exactly. Okay, uh, Yvonne Shell is in with a look at the weather forecast. Uh, not too bad today, but wait for it. (laughs) Yeah, we're just starting to see a bit of rain moving its way in, especially for a few spots across the island, and that's what's going to work its way across Metro Vancouver. Current shot overlooking English Bay. We're sitting at 9, and we've got a southeasterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Here's a glance at the precipitation starting to work its way in right across the west end, so that's what's going to move in through the evening. It'll be heaviest, especially overnight and as we get in towards the morning hours. So a heads up, we'll be down to 5 degrees. It'll be a wet start for Wednesday morning, and then it should start to ease off with just a chance of showers for the afternoon. Highs tomorrow will be up to 9 degrees. We do have heavy precipitation continuing, especially for both the north and central coast. And for the early morning hours, Metro Vancouver, higher elevations, great news for the local mountains. We are going to be seeing some wet snow in the mix and then easing off. Now, along the north and central coast, the special weather statement with the rain between 40 and potentially up to 80 millimeters inland Kitimat is included within that, and the rain starts to ease off by Wednesday morning. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, though, we still do have 
snowfall with the snowfall warning for the Pine Pass between 10 and up to 15 centimeters and additional snow as we get in towards our Wednesday with 5 and up to 10 potentially along the Coquihalla and Rogers Pass. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Northern half of the province will start to see the rain easing off but still overcast through the day. The snowfall for the northeastern corners, especially for areas near Fort Nelson, heaviest this evening. Central interior could see a few wet flurries in the mix and then changing over to showers. And the Columbian Kootenai will still get clipped by a bit of instability with some wet snowfall. Higher elevations along the mountain passes as we'll see that accumulating snow and heaviest rain for the southern interior for the tops in Okanagan will be just for the morning hours and then easing off by the afternoon. Once we get past tomorrow, though, it looks like we'll have some sunshine in the mix. It's pleasant, especially Thursday onwards and even warming up for the beginning of the weekend so far on Saturday. We could see highs up to 13 degrees. A great shot, this one, tonight's weather window. It was the sunset last night just from above Burnaby Mountain, taken by Ian. Guys? Can't beat that, can you? Gorgeous. All right, thanks, Yvonne. For fans of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, the Airbnb of your dreams is located just 30 minutes east of Osuyus. Global Sydney Morton took a tour of The Hobbit hideaway and shows us the magic in every nook and cranny inspired by Tolkien's imagination. Nestled in between the Kootenay Boundary region and the Okanagan Valley lives a little piece of Middle Earth. You really are able to get away from the world mm-hmm. and have that privacy and intimacy and just be out in, in nature. The Earth home, modeled after the star of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, and his Hobbit Hole. That is just minutes outside of a Soyuz, complete with a kitchenette, fireplace, dreamy bedroom, and outdoor fire pit, where guests can let their imaginations run wild. People, they get pretty overwhelmed coming here. It seems to be meaning quite a lot to them. There's some people that they get out of the car and they start screaming or crying, you know, and you, know, you, get, you get some crazy, crazy reactions. And I think that is really what makes it totally like worse or putting all the work in and um, keeping it going. Many people even come in costume as their favorite hobbit, elf, dwarf or character. Most people, I would say they are they are huge fans. Ever since taking over the farm and its mini shire, LeCompte has had a steady flow of fans booking to stay at the Airbnb Hobbit Hole. Sydney Morton, Global News, Bridesville. Oh, all right. <laughs> A lot of jokes going around. <laughs> you know, dressing up as your favorite me. hobbit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you two guys would be fine. Perfect in there. But our feet are normal sized. That's true. Oh, yeah, and not hairy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, we don't know that. I don't know that. That's true. And we don't need feet. to know that. You, on the other hand. I'd be bumping my head everywhere in that place. But <laughs> yeah. uh, what a cool experience to go there for sure. Very cool. <laughs> All right, Squire. I We don't. Need to know about your feet. You have nice feet. No, no, there. my feet are fine. <laughs> they don't smell. They're, They're not perfectly right for my size. <laughs> right. Uh, right now, the uh, four centers that started the year for the Canucks are all hurt, some worse than others. It's a scenario the coach has never seen. Uh, no, haven't. But hopefully tomorrow that we'll get one or two of those guys back. Will Bo Horvat be one of those guys who might play tomorrow? Travis Green gives us an update on the captain. And later, a Canadian whiskey with the heart and soul of Scotland and why it's now the subject of a lawsuit.
The Canucks are going down like they embarked on an assault on Mordor. <laughs> wow. As the Hobbit references continue. Well wow. done. I, I wouldn't have been able to come up with that. <laughs> yes. Well, they have no middlemen for Middle Earth. Right? Oh. How's that one? That's pretty quick. There you go. Right off the top of my rather small head. Uh, the uh, Canucks started this season with Elias Pettersson, Bo Horvat, Brandon Sutter, and Jay Beagle as their main centers. By the time last night's game with Winnipeg was over, all four were hurt. The Canucks had become a donut. No middle. Pedersen and Beagle were already out with injury. Sutter didn't play because of some ailment. And Bo Horvat left in the third period, not being able to put any weight on his left leg. And we still aren't sure what the deal is with him, but the Canucks are being optimistic. Which is a lot different than Monday night when there was nothing very optimistic about seeing Bo Horvat hit by an Alex Edler shot and then having to drag himself off the ice. But the official prognosis is this. Uh, we, I'd call it day-to-day right now. Has he had the imaging done? Yep. Haven't ruled him out for tomorrow. Now, we should say the Canuck bosses are an optimistic bunch. A few days after Elias Pettersson got hurt, Jim Benning said this. He's day-to-day right now. For Pettersson, day-to-day has turned into almost an entire month. One thing is for sure, all four main centers being hurt or day-to-day at the same time is a new one on Travis Green. Under that scenario, if you didn't have your your four top four centermen playing, it would definitely be a scenario I haven't, I don't think I've seen before, but like I said, hopefully that doesn't happen and we've got our guys back. Actually, you mentioned, every, really, if you think about it philosophically, every living thing on this planet is day-to-day. Minute to minute, really. <laughs> Basically. Uh, the NHL has said the Montreal Canadiens cannot play any games for the rest of this week because of COVID issues. The uh, Habs will be able to get back to practicing next Monday if all the test results are good. Yesterday, they were supposed to play Edmonton. That game was postponed after it was discovered that both Yoel Armia and Jesperi Kotkaniemi of Montreal, of course, were put on COVID-19 put on the COVID-19 protocol list. Uh, March Madness is going on down south, and one of the players that is still playing is a favorite of Canucks defenseman Tyler Myers. Why is he a favorite? Because he is Myers' half-brother, Quentin Grimes. Final 60 seconds. Grimes pulling the trigger. Got it again. I'm guessing you have Houston in your pool. I do. I have them winning it. Uh, Last game was pretty exciting to watch. And uh, Quentin had a pretty good game too. So uh, hoping for the same result next game. This is going to get away from them quickly. No. (laughs) The NCAA Sweet 16 just got that much sweeter for Tyler Myers. Big brother has proudly watched on as his younger sibling, Quinton Grimes, and the Houston Cougars advanced its way through the NCAA tournament. Line this time to the other side. Myers fires a shot. He scores! While Tyler's been helping the Canucks try to stay in the playoff picture, Quinton, who's 10 years younger and an inch shorter than Tyler, has gone off during March Madness. During the regular season, he averaged 18 points and six rebounds. In his last game, he hit for 22 points, including an impressive five of nine from three-point land. How proud are you of his accomplishments? 
Oh yeah. I mean, we didn't, we just didn't get to spend a lot of time together uh, growing up uh, with the, with the big age difference and him being down in Texas. Um, But uh, you know, always, always hope for the best for him. There's a good chance we're in the process of watching sports history being made. Tyler's a well-seasoned former first round NHL draft pick who's skating in his 12th NHL season. Quinton, a decade younger than Tyler, isn't returning for his senior college season. Instead, he's hopefully NBA-bound, which would mark the first time in NBA and NHL history that siblings would be playing in rival leagues at the same time. To Grimes, knocks in a three-point. You know, you take a look at uh, what he's been able to do throughout his university career here. He went through uh, some adversity uh, early on, and, you know, the work he's put in to, uh, you know, get where he is today is... Um, you know, show, shows what he's made of, and I'm, I'm really happy for him. With a right-handed thunder. Well, this week, Canada's Olympic soccer team, men's team, is playing qualifying games for the Summer Olympics, and our men's main national team is playing two World Cup qualifying games, Thursday against Bermuda and Sunday against the Cayman Islands games that we should win. Among those players named to the team are Whitecaps keeper Max Crapo, one of three goalies named, and Vancouver striker Lucas Cavallini, who, like he is with the Caps, will be one of Canada's main forwards, and, of course, Alfonso Davies, a defender with Bayern Munich, but likely to play a much more offensive role with Canada. The Whitecaps' Christian Gutierrez has been named to the team, as has Langley's Joel Waterman, who plays in Montreal. They have a 24-man roster for these two games. There you go. Wishing those guys luck, for sure. Thanks, Squire. All right, here's Sarah McDonald now with a preview of Global News at 11. Yeah, Sarah. Chris, thanks. We'll have more tonight on an investigation into the actions of two Vancouver police officers on the downtown east side over the weekend. What happened outside the Vancouver jail? The province's police watchdog is now investigating an incident that landed a civilian in hospital and two officers under investigation. Plus, a major street in Surrey was closed to traffic today as part of an investigation into a fatal crash that happened three months ago when a woman was struck by a runaway delivery van while out with her kids. We'll have those stories and more. Plus, Squire joins us once again with sports tonight at 11. Guys. All right, look forward to that. Thank you, Sarah. If it's not Scottish, they'll sue. <laughs> Up next, why the Scotch Whiskey Association is coming down hard on a BC distiller. A Vancouver Island distillery is getting a dram full of legal drama over its whiskey. <laughs> the single malt scuffle has been launched by an association out of Scotland that pledges to protect the country's Scotch reputation. Richard Zussman explains. The equipment, the bottle, the kilt. It speaks to a drink from afar, made close to home. We built this brand through blood, sweat and tears celebrating a combination of Scottish heritage and local British Columbia heritage. But is there too much love for Scotland? That's what the BC Supreme Court will now need to decide. Graham McElhoney makes Caledonian whiskey in Saanich, and he's now being sued by the Scottish Whiskey Association. It's very scary, to be honest, right? You know, when you read these things, you get a lot of 
sleepless nights. The association's self-proclaimed job is to protect the identity of Scotch whiskies. In this case, the legal argument is around the word Caledonia, a poetic name for Scotland and the name for British Columbia before it was British Columbia. The lawsuit states the expression Caledonian whiskey literally tells potential customers that the associated products are whiskey from Scotland. We've never sought to mislead the public because when you're building a, a world award winning whiskey brand, you know, you have to be genuine about, about the provenance of it. McElhone consulted with the Scotch Whiskey Association back in 2016 around the use of these names and everything was okay until the distilleries started to win big awards. At that point, they clearly, we were transparent that, we were, that our brand was Macaloni um, and that we were going to be building a, a Caledonian distillery. I don't think that that in any way would have uh, instigated this action. Devin de Kergamo is the author of The Definitive Guide to Canadian Distilleries. He says scotch is big business in B.C., and he understands why the Scotch Whiskey Association is going after this product. People will buy something if it says scotch on it, or if they get the impression that it's scotch, simply because many people believe that scotch whiskey is the best whiskey. So it really adds tremendous cachet to the product. So here, here and although the bottle doesn't say scotch whiskey, the courts will have to decide if there's something here that has tricked the public in believing that it's straight from the birthplace of scotch. Richard Zussman, Global News, Saanich. <laughs> I know. It's a, we feel like we take ownership of that because it's yeah. from B.C. The, the guys are great, but, uh, boy, that's some trouble, legal trouble. I yeah. wouldn't want to be a part of. See what happens with that. All right, yeah. final word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, rain across uh, the south coast, Metro Vancouver. That takes us in towards our Wednesday morning, tapering off to showers by the afternoon, and then focus on Thursday onwards and as we get in towards the weekend with dry conditions. Order that Thank sunshine. You. All right, thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night.